Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in. Listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Well, we want to welcome all of you here in Oklahoma where tornadoes know no seasons. All right. Stand with me if you would. How many of you last night were close to river wind? I always love religious churches this morning. You're probably standing up. That's what you deserve. You know, <laughs> the casino, you know, I mean, I can, I can hear it now, you know, the wrath of God, whatever. But we're glad that you're here. Glad that you're tuned in. Uh, today's going to be probably the most profound message that I have preached in this series and maybe all year. And uh, I know that if you'll listen, you'll go out of here lighter than you came in here. The heaviness will lift and uh, you'll, you'll be strong. You'll be happy. You'll be filled with joy. How many of you into that? Listen, man, I'm going to tell you, you don't want to live a life downcast. You have one life to live and it's not dress rehearsal. I mean, this is the real deal. Hold your Bibles, your iPhones up, your iPads. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God, and I boldly confess my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, and I'll never be the same again. Never, 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 in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Um, the important thing about uh, to me about Christianity and faith, you call it religion, whatever you want to call it, is having a clear understanding first of who God is and who God isn't. First off, God is a God of love. Matter of fact, not of love, but He is love, the Bible says. And that's very, very important. That's the foundation to me of all Christianity is understanding that God is love. And that if we understand that, that means every good and perfect gift, according to the book of James, comes down from Him. And so I was uh, somewhere the other day, and this lady had a shirt on, and I always wish that before shirts were screen printed, somebody would uh, proofread them. You know, it said this, it said something like, uh, your faith will be greater than your fear. Well, first, let's start with this. If you've been here throughout this series called Overcoming Fear, you will realize that faith and fear are not opposites. Love and fear are. The Bible says perfect love casts out fear. So it's not perfect faith, but perfect love. Why? Because God is love. So that means that fear directly opposes God. Why is that? Because God has a destiny and a will for all of our lives. And the goal is to keep us in fear so that the will of God will not come near. I'm a little Dr. Seuss today, all right? So anyway, we have to understand that whenever you are afraid of something... It's not about getting your faith up to go try that which you're afraid of. It's about pressing into God and pressing into love so that the fear that you have will be driven out by the love that you approach. So don't worry about exercising faith. People say, you know, face your fears. No, face love, and love will help dispel the fears. So if God were to tell me to do something that I didn't feel like doing because of the perfect love that is on me or in me, then fear is out of me, like flying an airplane from Kampala, Uganda to Gulu, a twin-engine plane with avionics that weren't as good as your car. But I knew I had to get to Gulu. I knew that, that it was uh, a part of the plan, and uh, it actually was fun because, you know, you just kind of thought you were going to die, and when you landed, you were real happy. Sometimes it works that way. So the opposite of, of fear is a perfect love, okay? The opposite of faith is doubt. Remember the, the father who said, you know, heal my son? They said, you know, well, he said, forgive me for my unbelief or my doubt. So what you have to realize is if you're having doubt, then you need to exercise faith. If you are a judging person, and just to help all of you watching online, Mosaic is not a judgmental church. And I'm not saying that to be arrogant. I'm just saying that doesn't exist here. And the reason it doesn't exist is because we're a bunch of fragmented pieces of humanity coming together to make a beautiful portrait of God. It was a great time for you to applaud. Um, 
geez, I, I, I swear y'all were supposed to be here at 9.30 and they, they were supposed to be here at 11. I don't know what's up with you. So anyway, mercy triumphs over judgment. So we have mercy. And, and so what we have to realize when we come to grace, what grace is, because a lot of religious people think grace is something that needs to be carefully talked about. But I hopefully will be able to define grace in such a way today that it will extinguish fears because a lot of people's fears are, I've done too much wrong, I've done too much bad uh, for God to, to embrace me or to love me or to want me or to ever want me to do anything ever again. The reality is that each and every day that we awaken, we awaken to our sin nature. So there, you, you can never be good enough to uh, earn God's love and you can never be bad enough to get away from God's love. It's just that simple. And the challenge is religious people want to perform for God. People of faith are glad that God performed through the cross for them. And so religion is man's effort to appease God. Christianity is God's act to satisfy the sins of humanity. And he did. He came and conquered the sin that so easily besets us. And now we have to set that same sin aside. To quote A.W. Tozer, he said, Grace is the good pleasure of God that inclines him to bestow benefits upon the undeserving. It is a self-existent principle inherent in the divine nature and appears to us as a self-caused propensity to the pity the wretched, spare the guilty, welcome the outcast, and bring into favor those who were before under disapprobation or under condemnation would be the word we would use today. Its use to us, sinful men, men, is to save us and make us sit together in heavenly places to demonstrate to the ages the exceeding riches of God's kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That's what grace is. Now, the Bible says that we reap what we sow. So if you want love, you need to sow love. If you want kindness, you need to sow kindness. If you want forgiveness, you sow forgiveness. If you want grace... You sow grace. It's so important that, that we understand grace. Now, I grew up or cut my spiritual teeth as a Pharisee. I know that there aren't supposed to be any alive today, but I, I think I'm of the lineage of Pharisees, or at least I was. I grew up believing that if I did everything right and that if, if I continue to do right and I continue to do life better, that that would mean that God would approve of me more. Can I help you with something? God doesn't approve of us based on our performance. He approves of us based on the performance of his son. Amen. But I grew up under that. So I grew up under this very strong-fisted type environment in a rough neighborhood. So I grew up learning how to endure, how to suffer, how to overcome, how to survive. I grew up understanding all those skills. And what I realized was when I had children and started having children, I carried those tendencies over into my family. So when my son turned 16, my son who is now 31, uh, turned 16 and he got his license, I had this idea, man, if I ever crashed, I knew I was going to go home and my dad wasn't even going to ask, is everybody okay? You know, it was like you crashed, we're going to deal with this and then I'll ask if you're okay. And that was just how I grew up. Great dad. It just was tough. And so when my son got behind the wheel at 16 years old, was driving an SUV, mine. <laughs> and it was a rainy day in Oklahoma. And we all know in Oklahoma when it rains, it wasn't like flooding rain. It was a misty rain, which is kind of the worst kind because it brings to the surface all the oils on the road. And they come up and then when you break, you kind of slide. Well, he was driving and... and um, he had, I, I think, a couple of other kids with him, and he slid into, very gently, another car. So it wasn't a big wreck or anything, but it was $1,600, and, and you ask how I remember, because I told you I was part Pharisee. <laughs> Pharisees remember all the laws, you know, and, they, and, they, and if they can't keep them, they make up other ones to help them. You know, it's kind of like <laughs> prescription drugs. Take this, but you have to take three other drugs to counter the side effects of the one you're taking, you know. So it's kind of the Pharisee of today. And so he runs into the rear end of a car, comes home, tells me about it, gets a ticket, yada, yada. The, the insurance company sends a bill for $1,600. Well, being the good father that, that I was, uh, 
being the legalist that I was, because after all, I'm a good guy. I, I'm, I'm, I pray. I do all these really good things that impress God. And so I, I tell my son, I said, you know what? That $1,600 is coming out of your pocket. Oh, yeah, because I'm a Pharisee. It's sad, you see. And so I'll never forget, he paid the $1,600, okay? Now, over time, I used to get up every morning, 5 a.m., six days a week. I would pray from 6 to 7. Well, that's not actually true. There would be sometimes I would sleep from 6.05 to 6.45, wake up with drool coming out of my mouth, say, praise the Lord. Anyway, uh, but I was at least up at 5 and saying I was going to pray from 6 to 7. So I was a really good Pharisee. And so when my son had a wreck, guess what? You're going to pay, right? Okay, so over time, after I realized that, that I wasn't nearly as flawless as I thought I was. Come on, type A people, you know what I'm talking about. We're not flawless, but we don't think anybody else sees it. Can I help you? Everybody does. They're just too nice to talk about it, but we're not. You know, we spout it. Anyway, so... About 10 years goes, goes by, and now he's 31, and I, I wake up one day with a realization that, that I had strong legalistic tendencies. Any of you been there? <laughs> Liars. <laughs> <laughs> and so I wake up to this realization that I had really, I had done some things like that that were wrong. Now, we don't think of those things as wrong, and we forget about them. We think of, you know, don't smoke, drink, cuss, or chew, or date girls who do. <clears throat> but we don't think about things like this. And I wake up one day, and I realized I had done my son, song, my, my son wrong. I think, remember that country song, done somebody wrong song? Or was that Neil Diamond? I don't remember. I wasn't born. I, somebody told me about it. Anyway... I realized I had done my son wrong, so I, I, I wrote him I, uh, a letter. I typed it on the computer, didn't actually handwrite it, but I typed it, printed it out, and I wrote a $1,600 check and put it in there. And I said, I sent it to him. He lives in Seattle, and I mailed it to him. I said, and he was here then, I think, but, but I mailed it to him because I wanted it to mean something. And I said, I'm so sorry that when you were 16 years old, you ran into the car accidentally. It was just an accident. You weren't driving crazy. You just were a new driver. And I put a $1,600 check in there and said, I'm sorry, and I want you to go cash this. <sighs> you laugh because it didn't drain $1,600 out of your account. <laughs> anyway, I did it because I felt like I had, <clears throat> I had encountered a grace in my life that I wanted to sow grace in other people's life. That's what Mosaic's all about. Now, when I say that, there will be religious people who say, well, you know, how can you go to a church like Mosaic with a guy like Mark Crow? You just came to the realization we're all a mess. And that, that the reality is the reason people in the world don't want to come to church is because we've given the world the impression that we do nothing wrong. And that we're perfect and that when we come to church on Sunday, we've prayed for an hour or seven days a week and then that we've done everything right and that we're just, our lives are cleaned up. I come to church to get a shower from the Holy Ghost. I know that's too much information for some of you, but I realize I needed grace. So... <clears throat> Romans chapter 5, verse 17 says, For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through the one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. Let me pause here. You have to, when you read the Bible, read it carefully, brings. The word brings life. So in other words, it's introduced to all mankind. Life is an introduction to all people. So the, the self-transformation movement, 
or the New Age movement. I'm not throwing anybody under the bus, man. I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm trying to just be authentic and honest. That the belief that everybody's saved, they just don't know it, is so close to true that it, it, many people hear it as true. But what happens is that Jesus did, in fact, pay for the sins of all mankind. Would you agree? That Jesus did. He said, I, I'm paying for everybody's sin. But he said, I'm bringing it to you. I'm not imparting it to you. I'm bringing it to you. The impartation comes after we accept it and we receive it. Not everybody's saved, but everybody can be saved. But we have to receive it. If I brought you a car and the keys were in it and I said, here's the car. It's a car in that moment. But when you get in that car and you start it and you put it in gear, it goes from being a car to being transportation. Now it's taking you somewhere. Salvation comes to you. The keys are in it. The power is there. But until you step into Christ, it's nothing to you. It doesn't transport you anywhere. It doesn't, has no effect on where you're going. We have to accept the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Goes on to say, for just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was added so that the trespass might increase. In other words, it would reveal a need for us to accept Christ. And, and Christ doesn't point out our sin to embarrass us, to shame us, or to punish us. Sin is pointed out so that we can see it and we can accept redemption. So people look at sin in such a harsh way, but God said, you've got to see it in order to accept Him. If you don't see your sin, you will never accept eternal life. So it goes on to say, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means we died to sin, so how can we live any longer in it? Now here's the catch. The catch is this, that once you get born again and once the righteousness of God comes into your life, sin no longer is your master. Now sin will always be an influencer, but it doesn't have control of your life. The operating system, if you will, of your soul has changed. Now you're redeemed. Now you're bought with a price. Now you're born again. Now the power of grace, mercy, and forgiveness reigns in your life. No longer does hate and all the other things that come with sin, no longer does that reign in your life, but it is around your life. Would you agree? All you have to do is drive in Oklahoma, and you know that's true. It's all around you. Grace, if you get nothing else, get this. Grace is the perpetual involvement of God in our perpetually sinful lives. Grace is the perpetual, ongoing, never-ending involvement of God in our perpetually sinful lives. We all sin every day. Every one of you, before you came here this morning, sinned. I don't know what it was. I mean, I'm sure I did. I mean, I, I, you know, I thought if somebody breaks into my house again, I'll shoot you. I'm not sure that's godly or sinful, but... I just want to go on record. If you do it again, I've got a Doberman and a judge. And that's a 45. Okay, so now. And so I've had an opportunity this month to operate in grace. My home in, in Texas got hit by Harvey. My daughters, I'm just bringing you up to speed on the latest thing that happened. And it happened this weekend. I know you want to hear it. Stay tuned. We're going to commercial. Anyway, so... So I get hit by Harvey, and then Irma was going straight at my daughter's house in Miami, so I fly them here. Then, three weeks ago, I want my college ring back. You can keep a couple of the guns. And I want my 50th anniversary watch back. So if you're watching right now, and I think you are, you can just put it in the mailbox. No ass, no tell. Anyway, so I this weekend, my son was in from Seattle, and he and his wife, and... Um, he was driving one of my cars. Same son. Same son. I didn't say Samsung. Same son. 
This is why this story is so great. The one who rear ends a car in my, when he's 16, is driving my newest car. And so he and his wife, they were real busy because they live in Seattle. They don't get to come home much, and they're just out all the time. So I go to bed because I'm over 45. Not that far over 45. It's all relative. And so I get up the next morning, and this was like yesterday morning. I get up, and I on the bar is a piece of paper with keys. That's never a good sign. Can I help you with this? Because they had never been there any other morning this whole week. But Saturday morning, the keys were laying there, and there was a piece of paper. And I went, before I ever read it, I went, grace. And he says, Dad, I am so sorry. He says, Vicki, my mother-in-law backed into your car. It's really bad. No, 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 no. It's all good. No, no, no. I realized in that moment the Pharisee, Pharisee in me was dead. He didn't even pop his head up because I'd have slapped it off. I, I, matter of fact, I didn't even go outside and look at it. I went and got a Red Bull. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and Red Bull, we can overcome anything. So I let my dog out, went outside, went to my office and studied, prayed, studied. Prayed. <laughs> Studied. Son gets up and he says, Dad, did you, did you read the note? What, what note? <laughs> oh, yeah, that note. I'm so sanctified, I had forgotten about it. I mean, just kidding. He said, he said uh, yeah, I said, have you looked at it? I said, no, I haven't looked at it. I said, I'll look at it when we go outside. So they were leaving, and we went out, and I looked, and I went, it's not bad. He said, yeah, I know. I wrote really bad because I thought it would soften it when you finally saw it. <laughs> we all need grace, right? We all need grace. And those of you who have kids that are about to drive, Grace and insurance, big insurance. All right, so people who get the idea of grace embrace the best rather than fearing the worst. If you really understand grace, always look for the best. So let's talk first about the grace dichotomy. In other words, there are two polar opposites when it comes to grace typically. Rarely do you find people somewhere, I mean, they exist but because grace flows out of people, you oftentimes miss the act of grace if you are on either side of grace. So the dichotomy being one, I deserve it. The other one, I don't deserve it. Okay? So there are people like that who feel like because they prayed seven days a week that you deserve grace. You don't deserve grace. If you deserve grace, it's not grace any longer. Grace is undeserving. So if you've done anything that makes you think you ought to get grace because you prayed seven days a week. You, you haven't been drunk in months. <laughs> Hours. <laughs> that you're all fine. Why? Because of what you've done. And the reason I say this is the church has missed the opportunity to connect with a world of people that are really awesome people that Jesus gave his life for, but because we have allowed judgment to triumph over mercy... God helped getting them in here. And I know this grates on people who you think you're really awesome by your works. None of us are awesome by our works. Matter of fact, Isaiah said our righteousness is as filthy rags. He understood that without salvation, without a Savior, without a lamb, without spot or blemish, the Lamb of God, that all of us were in trouble. Now, when I say these things, I'm not, you'll see in a moment, I'm not trying to say you, you can escape through life without consequences. That's not what I'm saying. But God is love, so his love for us never changes. 
I used to think that if I was good for a week, God really loved me. If I was bad for a week, that God was really disappointed in me. In other words, I had created God in the image and likeness of man instead of man in the image and likeness of God. And that's what we often do. We look at our father, we look at a role model, and we begin to turn God into their response. That's how God would respond. Not at all how God would respond. There's no way God would have made my son pay $1,600 for that wreck. It was an accident. He wasn't being stupid. Now, you know what? I mean, sometimes we are stupid. Everybody gets stupid. But the problem is stupid people don't even really know they're stupid. That's really stupid because we're all stupid sometimes. And the stupidest thing is not acknowledging that you're stupid. I told you this was, that is stupid. I told you this was going to be encouraging today. So Luke 18, 11 says, The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like the tax collector. I fast. Listen, he starts giving God his performance list. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get, but the tax collector stood at a distance, and the tax collector's hearing him, okay? So this is what happens. We get in church, and uh, a pastor stands up and starts telling how Basically, his or her performance is the reason that they're standing on the stage today. Or they, you know, I just shared all of my horror stories with you for the month. I'm looking for outstanding October. That's what I've titled this month. Now, thus far, it's standing out, but it's not outstanding. So, I'm looking for uh, no fault November instead of no shave. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and who humbles himself will be exalted. So the Pharisee said, I'm good. I don't need grace. I've earned whatever you give me. On the other hand, the tax collector, who, by the way, was hated by all of society back in that day because they were not just collecting taxes, they were thieves. But all of a sudden, this tax collector gets a revelation that I need what this man is offering. I need it. And the Bible says because he said I need it, he was justified. You and I are not justified by our behavior. We're justified by his behavior and our acceptance of that behavior. Romans 6.14 says, For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Okay, sin will never not be an issue as long as we are alive. However, the application of grace is the only way to become immune to its authority over us. You will never have authority over sin trying to live by the letter of the law, ever. If you try to keep a list of laws and rules to justify your uh, acceptance by God, you will have missed the whole salvation message, message and the work of the cross. The work of the cross purchased for us a salvation if we're willing to accept it. Bought it for us. And we have to understand nothing is free. I, I hate these advertisements on television, I, I hate the whole idea. Some people bought in, and, and I don't care if you're Democrat, Democrat Republican, Libertarian. I, I don't care what you are. Listen to this. There is nothing free in this world. So when someone says free education, what they're really saying is somebody else is paying for your education. Don't buy and don't bite that hook or don't bite that bait because there's a hook under it. And I was watching I, the Thunder game or some sports game, and it talked about people quitting smoking. Look, I, I, smoking won't send you to hell. You just smell like it. All right, now listen to me. There's an advertisement, and you'll probably get to wherever you're going early, by, by the way. Anyway, so don't get mad at me if you're a smoker. Just come up and say, I love you anyway, Pastor. Okay, now...
See, if I can irritate you, you really don't get grace because I might need some right now. All right, now, but there's a commercial that comes on, and it says, it says, uh, okay, if you want to quit smoking, there's this organization now that will give you, like, nicotine gum and patches, and, and they said it's all for free. And I went, it is not free. What they should have said was, this is what really happened. The tobacco company lost a lawsuit, and they're having to now pay for free gum and nicotine patches. That's how it should have been stated. And thanks to the big tobacco companies, they're now going to give you patches and nicotine gum and get you hooked on those. At least you won't smell like hell. All right, now, don't get mad at me. I'm a nice guy. I'm just trying to help you see that, that there's nothing free, including our salvation. Christ paid for it. The grace that we get as a result of that work is what I'm talking about. He paid for grace. It's not free. I'm not treating it like free, and you won't treat it for like it's free if you understand the price that was paid for it. How many of you know that when somebody is given something they didn't have to work for, they don't value it like they had to pay for it? Trials of Christian life you shall find heavy, but you will find grace will make them light, according to Spurgeon. Secondly, the grace test. The grace test. This is huge. Abraham, out of the Living Bible, Romans 4, was humanly speaking the founder of our Jewish nation. What were his experiences concerning this question of being saved by faith? Was it because of his good deeds that God accepted him? If so, then he would have something to boast about. But from God's point of view, Abraham had no basis at all for pride. For the scriptures tell us Abraham believed God, and that is why God canceled his sins and declared him not guilty. But didn't he earn his right to heaven by all the good things he did? No. For being saved is a gift. If a person could earn it by being good, then it wouldn't be free. But it is. It is given to those who do not work for it. Now get this. It doesn't say those who don't accept it. Those who don't work for it. For God declares sinners to be good in his sight if they have faith in Christ to save them from God's wrath. So this is where we become the righteousness of God in Christ. That I position myself in God by accepting Christ, and at that moment, his, his grace is already there. I just step into his grace. In other words, I surrender or submit to a grace that has been extended, a salvation that has been extended. It's not free. It's a free gift, but it's not free because Jesus paid for it. He paid with his life, with his body, with his blood. He paid for it. And this is when you really say, well, what's the difference? When you understand that somebody loved you so much that they would forfeit their life so that you could have an abundant life, you start caring a whole lot about what's been offered to you. It's invaluable. So start counting your blessings instead of calculating your sin. Now listen to this. This is the second most important thing. Is God's grace is, is perpetual. And it's perpetually working on behalf of us. Now listen to this. Grace ceases to be grace if it requires... Listen to this carefully and don't shut me out because this will confuse you initially. Grace ceases to be grace if it requires our cooperation but becomes grace when we offer our submission to God. Cooperation by applying my works to His Completed work would then mean that his work was not complete at all without my cooperation. In other words, it's not about even me cooperating. It's about me submitting. Because if I get grace only by my cooperation or my works, it's not really grace. It comes because it's the completed work of Christ on the cross, whether I cooperate or not. Now, grace will not have an effect or impact on my life until I submit to that. Not cooperate with it, submit to it. Surrender to it and say, God, I am yours. I've been bought with a price. I'm saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest anybody should boast. So therein lies the problem. If it's my work with his work, it's not grace. 
But it's getting up every day saying, God, I know I'm not good enough. And all the work that I can do from praying seven days a week from 6 to 7 a.m. and going to church and all the I don't come to church because I want God's grace. I come to church because I know God's grace. And his grace is what pulls me here. It drives me here. It's not that I'm performing to get it. He's already given it to me. And when I understand the price he paid for this, that's why I tell you every week when I make my call is make time for God every day and make time for God's house every week. Why? Because grace drives me here. I wouldn't be here otherwise. I understand grace. If I thought I had to come to church to earn God's approval, I would go back to the nightclubs. You know why? Because I can't do anything to earn it. Boy, what is this, Mosaic Baptist? Give me some help up in here. I may have to open another can of Red Bull to get through this if y'all don't give me some juice. Now, God is a God of grace whether I cooperate or not. But His grace becomes mine when I step into it. My submission means I have nothing to offer except my acceptance of His work for me and in me. This is where most people miss the whole idea of grace. Is they think somehow their cooperation, I prayed, I did this, I'm a good person, that I deserve grace. If you deserve grace, then it's not grace. It's when you, like the tax collector, go, uh, you know, hey, hey, I'm a sinner over here. (laughs) Have mercy on me, God. That's when grace, boom. Not because you did something, but you positioned yourself to receive what was already there. I'll give you an example. Jesus telling Peter to cast his net on the other side of the boat was an act of grace. Peter didn't act to get grace. Jesus extended grace. And the fish didn't come because Peter cooperated. They came because he submitted. The fish were already there. It had nothing to do with Peter saying, okay, well, I'll go throw the net in. Jesus said, okay, I'll bring the fish. No, he didn't. Jesus said, I brought the fish. Now, if you'll listen to me, the grace that I've already extended to you will become reality and you'll have a net sinking, boat sinking experience with fish because they're already there. It wasn't Peter's cooperation. It was Peter's submission. What about the woman caught in the act of adultery? (gasps) Jesus didn't say, now... Go and sin no more, neither do I condemn you. He said, neither do I condemn you. Are there where those who condemn you? Neither do I condemn you. Then he said, now go and sin no more. In other words, grace preceded the mandate. Why? Because it takes grace to carry out the mandate of God. You can't do it otherwise. Y'all need some A1 sauce for this steak. It's called advanced grace. It's not his acceptance of my works, but my acceptance of his work that makes grace work in me. You can be a great person, almost perfect person. I mean, there are, there are people on this earth that think because they've never burped in public, they're better than other people. You've never had an... Oh, oh. <laughs> And so because of that, you go around judging burpers and other things. Just seeing how righteous you are. We're measuring other people differently than ourselves. You see, typically we measure other people by what they do. We measure ourselves by our intentions. That'll take a while to float in your soul. As heat is opposed to cold and light to darkness, so grace is opposed to sin, not to the sinner. Listen to this and listen carefully. I've heard Christians for years say, well, you just need to resist sin. You need to resist the devil. They could not be more wrong. Because you haven't quoted the whole scripture. Two of the most misquoted scriptures are, money is the root of all evil. That's a lie. It's the love of money. Not money. Honey, trust me. 
Money is not the root of all evil. The love of, let me tell you what else is wrong. The Bible says, submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and then he will flee. So in other words, grace in that moment when you submit to God, you're submitting to grace. And the grace empowers you then to resist the devil and cause him to flee. You cannot resist the devil without grace and you can't get grace without submission to God. Scorching. Grace makes things right. We don't make things right to get grace. Grace doesn't cut deals, keep score, add up, or make sense to the natural mind. And grace may be no more real than when we are at our very worst. The grace test is there tension in your life. If there's tension in my, there's always tension in my life, and I love it. And not a bad tension, it's a healthy tension. It's like if a bow is strung tight enough to launch an arrow, you want enough tension on that bow to kill the deer. Oh God, I know Peter's going to call me this week. <laughs> Jesus said, kill that calf and eat it. For all you vegetarians, keep cracking those eggs. <laughs> I ain't mad at you, don't get mad at me for making fun of you. Just having fun. Advance me some grace. But in your life, the tension was as Paul had it in Romans chapter 7. He said, why is it I do the things I don't want to do and don't do the things I want to do? Paul said, there's a tension. This is the apostle Paul, the great apostle. It, it, it demonstrating the same one who wrote Romans 5, also wrote Romans 7. That would be two chapters later. He's saying, I'm struggling. But Paul understood grace. And the tension is, I love God so much, but probably more than this, I realize how much God loves me that I don't want to mess up. But I know I'm going to. I'm just going to tell you in advance, which if I lived in Tulsa, they would say that's a bad confession. I'm just feeling real tacky today. i got to tell you, I don't know whether it's that second Red Bull that's just sitting there unopened or what, but... But the reality is, Jesus said in the world, in John 16, you have tribulation, take courage, I've overcome the world. It wasn't a negative confession. He was just saying, you're going to have issues you're going to have to deal with. And you know what? I, I make sure I am aware of those issues, and I understand that grace has been extended to me, so I want to extend grace. Then lastly, the grace facts. And these are, I'll close with these, and you'll like these. Hopefully you got something out of this. If not, go watch it online this week. No, this is a message that you need to tell all your friends about because I'm telling you, people who are think, think they're going to hell because they're not good enough, they're probably going to go to hell because they've never heard a message of grace and mercy and salvation like they're hearing right now. All they've heard is you're not good enough, you've got to stop this, you've got to quit that. I'm not worried about what I've got to stop and what I've got to quit. I'm just thinking of all I've got to embrace, and it's more than I can handle. God's pressed it down, shaking it together, and it's running over. I can't wait for two weeks when we change, change times and y'all get an extra hour of sleep because I can tell you right now, y'all need it. Y'all have been at a fair of the heart. Husbands are sitting here going, we keep preaching because we won't spend less money because my wife's dragging me to that place right after we get out of church. God in us works things out of us. Listen to this. Without grace, condemnation will consume us. Romans 8, 1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, we are under grace, not the law, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Now, I don't care how you quote that. I don't care whether you do Hebrew, Greek, Latin, whatever you want to do, how, Spanish, it doesn't matter. The reality is when you step into Christ Jesus, you become a new creature and he steps into you. doesn't make you perfect. It just empowers you now with grace and the power that raised him from the dead and you're going to mess up. Now, some people would say, but you're giving people a license to. 
I don't work for the licensing bureau. I can't license you to do anything. But I hope I can bring enough hope that you will understand when you fall down, get up. When people judge you, get up. When people criticize you, get up. When people throw rocks at you, throw them back. I mean, get up. Without grace, we are without hope. Philippians 2. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. God working in us. Colossians 1.27, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his, this mystery which Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ, not outside. To this end, I labor struggling with all his energy, all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. This is the Apostle Paul again. Understand it's the power of God working in you. The more of you that you surrender to him, the more of him he gives to you. In other words, I don't want my way, I want his way. I don't want my will, I want his will. Well, Jesus said, here's how you pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on my life as it is in heaven. Without grace, we have no salvation. And listen to this one. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith and not by works or from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now listen, I'm closing with this, and I want you to get this. Because this message to me is pivotal to us and where we're going next month with vision. You'll never have a vision for yourself until you know God has a vision for you. When you realize God has a vision for you, it's extended by grace, then you can start having vision for yourself, your family, your church, God's kingdom. <clears throat> Robert Farrar writes this. You're worried about permissiveness about the way the preaching of grace seems to say it's okay to do all kinds of terrible things as long as you just walk in afterward and take the free gift of God's forgiveness. While you and I may be worried about seeming to give permission, Jesus apparently wasn't. He wasn't afraid of giving the prodigal son a kiss instead of a lecture, a party instead of probation. And he proved that by bringing in the elder brother at the end of the story and having him raise pretty much the same objections you and I do. He's angry about the party. He complains that his father's lowering standards and, and ignoring virtue, that music, dancing, and fattened calf are, in effect, just so many permissions to break the law. And to that, Jesus has the father say only one thing, cut that out. We're not playing good boys and bad boys anymore. Your brother was dead and he's alive again. The name of the game from now on is resurrection, not bookkeeping. Now, I preach this with all the joy and confidence that I could possibly muster, not caring two cents about other people who would say, you're one of the permission givers. No, Jesus is. Blame him. Blame him. The reality is we are all saved by grace through faith. That's it. It's all we get. I'm not giving you permission to do anything that you're not going to do on your own because you're your own person. I'm not endorsing, stamping, anything. All I'm saying is this. I'm tired of repelling a world that is looking for a loving God. I'm tired of the world looking at the church thinking we're all just right and just perfect and we have no issues. Those of you watching right now, come and join us. We are the church with issues. That's what I ought to put on the sign. We are the church with issues. But we have tissues for your issues and they're anointed. And so... We love God passionately here. But more importantly, in this house, we experience God's, God's love passionately. And when you walk into this house, that's what you're going to get. It's the passionate love of a risen Savior who said, it, it wasn't free, it cost me, but I gladly paid for you. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, I thank you for your grace today. There may be those of you watching online, and there are those of you in this house, maybe you're not born again because you thought, well, I'm not good enough. I can never be good enough, and I still, 
I've tried this Jesus thing before. The problem is you just tried this Jesus thing without understanding that this Jesus thing really wasn't all about you. It was all about him. All heaven and hell had their eyes and their focus during that moment in time when Christ was hanging on the cross to see if he would make it all the way through, and he did. Then he was raised from the dead, and all heaven and hell and all those who'd gone before us in heaven were looking over the rail, awaiting this one moment that would change and rewrite history forevermore. It was rewritten for you, it was rewritten for me. Where now all of a sudden there would no longer be an animal sacrificed on behalf of the sins of Israel, but there would be a man without spot or blemish, without sin in his life, who would give his life on the cross knowing that we could never fulfill the law. That we could never carry out the obligations to overcome the sin that is upon us. But he said, I will come and live within you and you will experience me and you will know me and I will know you. And I paid the price for you to go to heaven. But you have to accept it. I brought it before you. Now you have to receive it. And those of you in here, we're going to pray a simple prayer. I'm watching online. You can pray this prayer with us as well. It's going to change your life forever. There probably weren't that many people worse than me when I was young. But if I could smoke it, I smoked it. If I could pop it, I popped it. Whatever I could get my hands on, I got my hands on it. And I'm not saved because I quit drugs. I'm saved because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Drugs would have killed me. They would have killed me quickly. But God loved that man as much as he loves this man standing on the stage today. He just didn't want to see me suffer the way I was killing myself. God doesn't want you to suffer the way you've been suffering trying to figure this thing out. Today, you can, you can fall into the arms of a merciful God. So pray this prayer with me, everyone in here and on watching online. Say, Father God, I needed a Savior, and I need a Savior. And I am thankful that you sent your Son to take my sin so that I could have a Savior. So today, I repent of my sin. I give you my life, and I surrender to all that heaven has for me. In Jesus' name, amen.